And I think people probably more than ever before are really open to the idea that, you know what, it's possible that money really does completely run our political system. And I don't mean that in a, you know, strictly smoky back room, but I mean, we understand the type of money that's flowing into politics. We understand the type of corporate contributions, uh, campaign contributions, and that are flowing into the parties. And I think where most Americans are intelligent to understand that people don't do things like that for no reason. Hey, everyone. Blake here at Stuist Media in Munich, Germany, and this is the Resistance Companion Podcast, episode number three. In January 2017, we went to Washington, D.C. during the week of the inauguration of Donald Trump to document the resistance on the streets, and we also did a lot of interviews with leaders and influencers within the movement. All this footage eventually became a web series that we call Resistance. If you want to check out the web series, uh, be sure to go to our Vimeo channel at vimeo.com slash Media. In putting together the series, we always had to make decisions based on the story and the audience, which usually means cutting down interviews to relevant ideas and sound bites. But we always wanted to be able to give the audience a more contextual version of the interviews so that they could get some more information about what we learned. And so we decided to make this podcast. In this podcast, we feature individual interviews from people that I met that week so you can get to know them and their organizations a little better and find out where they fit in the movement. Our aim is to help people to engage with the groups and organizations that we talk about and talk to so that they can be a part of the grassroots movement that is being built to win a livable future. This week's episode features my talk with Brian Jones, who was, was the executive director of the Justice Party at the time. Uh, he was there on you could call a fact-finding mission, representing his party, who was a relatively new party on the scene. Uh, and he was there to find out who was open for collaboration, what other parties were doing, what things were coming down the pipeline, and so forth. Uh, and yeah, I met him at, at an event organized by the Progressive Independent Party, and we hit it off uh, pretty quickly and got into a good conversation. And so I asked him if he would sit down on camera, and he agreed. And yeah, he actually is featured for such a short interview, he's featured quite a bit in the series. So uh, yeah, and he has some good bits to talk about. So make sure to stay tuned after the interview where my producer, uh, Randy will join us for a conversation about his interview. So here's Brian Jones. Yeah, my name is Brian Jones. I'm the executive director of the Justice Party, uh, which is an independent party. Um, we were formed in 2011. Um, Rocky Anderson, uh, who was the mayor of Salt Lake City for two terms, uh, he was very heavily involved. He has been his entire career. He's an attorney by trade. Um, heavily involved in um, activism and humanitarian issues, progressive issues. He was a Democratic mayor. 2011, he became really disillusioned with the Democratic Party, um, particularly with respect to the issue of how controlled both major parties are by corporate money. Um, and so he left and kind of renounced the Democratic Party and, and started with some other individuals, the Justice Party. On the Justice Party platform, he ran for president in 2012, mm -hmm. uh, was able to get ballot access in 15 states, I think, and really kind of made a name for the party a little bit. Um, between then and now, the party was not involved actively in electoral politics, um, kept a low profile. And then this year with uh, what happened in the Democratic primaries and then with Trump running the kind of the powers that be in the party decided that they really wanted to get uh, become more actively involved again party endorsed Bernie um, in the primary and didn't endorse anyone in the 
the general election mostly uh, because there was not any love for Hillary, but they really didn't want to have anything to do with mm -hmm. getting Trump elected. So, but um, the decision was made to bring someone on full time to really work at um, you know getting the party active and getting mm -hmm. the party involved in. Um, not just electoral politics, but activism and just the political landscape and trying to make some changes. So I was brought in this this past fall as the executive director. Um, and one of the first things that I started to do and one of the things we've really heavily been pushing um, is, is outreach. And mm -hmm. so I started reaching out to groups like Progressive Independent Party. That's how I got in contact with Eric Hell was just kind of cold calling her and calling around to progressive groups and asking uh, what what were they planning for the inauguration? If anything, I knew there were lots of events going on. And so the Justice Party really, which, you know, this is kind of the, a microcosm of this event this weekend is we were looking for groups and events and activities that were going to be going on, not specifically re related to the inauguration, but we knew that that would be something that there would be things going on for groups that wanted to, mm -hmm. uh, to collaborate because as part of the Justice Party's model, you know, we don't necessarily label, label ourselves as a progressive mm -hmm. party. I mean, we do, our politics are very progressive and I think that we will appeal largely to progressives, but uh, the issue of money in politics, for example, is not a partisan issue. That's mm -hmm. not a progressive issue. I mean, that is a problem in our opinion for both parties equally. And I think that's something that um, people from both parties and all across the political spectrum that'll appeal to them because I think everybody recognizes or can recognize that problem. So we've really been looking for groups and we found those groups, you know, here as part of uh, Occupy, Occupy Inauguration particularly is coming into contact with these groups that want to do what we do, which is, you know, I don't know how much we can do alone, but there's so many groups that have been trying to go it alone. It just seems to make so much more sense to try something together, you know, to build some critical mass. And that's how we came to be here, that's how we came in contact with these groups. So for this project, the main theme is trying to see how do all these different groups, excuse me, all these different groups on the left uh, eventually coalesce and become a unity organization, if not party. Um, do you, how do you see that moving forward? And just as a matter of example, would the Justice Party be open to either merging or kind of moving into another party how would that work and is that a possibility I, I mean that's a really that's a really interesting question i've been here four days now for the inauguration and i have had periods here where i thought this is amazing the collaboration is so amazing and i feel so optimistic and frankly i've had some periods where i think man this is a tough yeah. it's going to be a tough nut to crack because you know as i'm i'm assuming you've heard from other groups you know mm -hmm. there are established groups that have a lot of you know market share for lack of a better term that have put a lot of work in you know and no one really knows how um how interested everyone's going to be or willing to when we, when we really get down to it to be collaborating you know to really form some type of coalition or you know share what they have or you know and, and i don't mean that in a negative way it's just you know this is a new thing um it, a coalition on the progressive left is something that I think, you know, it's kind of this white whale that's been talked about for a long time. But, you know, we have a, a, a guy here from our party from the steering committee that's here, Lenny Brody. He's been in activist progressive politics for, you know, 50 years since the 60s. And he's, you know, we were talking about it and he says it's never happened. He's never seen it. You know, it's not in any lasting way. So 
Um, to the second, the, the first part of your question is, I don't know. I, I'm optimistic. I'm hopeful. I think not just with Trump, but with what happened with Bernie, um, with people becoming much more aware of the, the money issue in politics and how really inattractable and inaccessible that makes the political system to average Americans and even more than that, you know, uh, disadvantaged Americans. I think the atmosphere and the appetite on the left for that is probably as high as it's been, you know, at least in recent memory, which makes me optimistic. At the same time, there are myriad issues, you know, ego and again, market share and logistics and that, that really call that into question. So I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, I, I think I'm as optimistic as you can be. With respect to the Justice Party specifically, um, that's a, you know, this is a question that we're going to have to discuss as a steering committee because, um, you know, I came here to to specifically be part of this conversation, mm -hmm. to collaborate, to talk about coalition building. And I can say unequivocally that our model for the Justice Party is not an exclusive or exclusionary model. You know, we're, we're not interested in, you know, obtaining and protecting market share. We're interested in, in change making. Um, that said, we do have you know, specific goals. We do have electoral goals. We do have things that we've talked about, you know, that we've talked about doing as a party. And so I think coming out of this, um, this weekend and this summit, I think one of the first things, if not the first thing I want to talk about with the steering committee and with the decision makers of the party is, you know, how open are we to that? You know, what are we going to do? How willing are we? Because we're here as co-organizers of the summit, asking people explicitly, will you come join this coalition, you know? And they're gonna have to ask themselves and their members and their groups, just like we are, what does that mean to us? How far are we willing to go up to and including, you know, I mean, the kind of the big question on everybody's mind is what's Bernie gonna do? Well, what if there was some type of critical mass and there was a figure like Bernie, would we be willing to shed our label and actually become part of that because we thought there was a greater change? I'm not in a position today to say yes to that because, you know, we have a steering committee and we have a, a chair and a co-chair. But I can tell you that um, that's the spirit of what we're doing as, the, as a justice party is we think that we have individuals and an organization that are able to bring about really meaningful change, you know, in the short, mid and long term. And I do believe that the people involved in the Justice Party are really about that change. They're about changing the system and making the system more effective and meaningful for the people in our society that are really, frankly, not represented by our government right now. So, you know, uh, that conversation is being absolutely, started. absolutely. And I don't know if there are, I don't know if there are organizations that, you know, mm -hmm. I've talked to some organizations here that have said the same thing, which is I can't really decide, but clearly they're very resistant to that, you know? And again, I'm, I don't say that in a critical way. I would take the opposite position as the representative here of the Justice Party, which is I can't say for sure that we would do that, but I can tell you that we're interested in this type of thing. We are interested in this type of coalition. We're interested in, you know, we recognize that that type of thing really potentially can bring about that type of change, you know, and we really wanna be involved in that. Absolutely. Do you think the resistance movement as it stands could m go forward without any kind of unity organization, without creating some kind of organized front? Uh, I mean, it's going to go forward, you know. Um, Successfully. Then, is this I, yeah, I mean, it, I, I guess it depends what type of 
success or change you're talking about, I think we're at a point right now, um, I feel, and I think people in you know, my organization feel, and the people that I've talked to, frankly, to a person feel like incremental change or, you know, I wouldn't call it half measures because I think people are trying their best, but um, the things that have been done, the changes that have been made speci specifically recently are not enough. And so I can say, I think people will continue to go forward. They're, con they're gonna continue to be activists. The these people here are true believers. They're passionate about what they're doing. They care about these causes. But I can also say that I think everybody here agrees that what we're getting done right now is not enough. Mm -hmm. It's not enough. And I think that if there is not some type of collaboration, um, the ceiling on what we're gonna be able to accomplish is relatively low compared to what to what we're doing now you know and um again what exactly does that look like what's the answer to that i don't know but uh i feel like that's the reason that we're here in this group and it has to go forward from this you know I, you know speaking on behalf of the justice party and just myself as someone who cares about this stuff i feel like to get any type of real meaningful change there's got to be critical mass. There just has to be. There has to be numbers. When you're talking about electoral politics, there has to be numbers, which is what made Bernie's run so amazing. He had the numbers in a way that you just don't see from an, an independent candidate. You just don't see it. And I know he was running on the Democratic ticket, but he didn't get those numbers from the Democratic establishment. He got those numbers. He brought those to the Democratic establishment. And so um, you have to have critical mass. And I, you know, I like to think that the Justice Party could grow into that to where we could, you know, mm -hmm. gain critical mass. And I know there are other groups as well, that that's their goal is we think we can be, um, but how long do we have? How long will that take? Some of the parties that have that as their goal have been going for 25, 30 years, you know, right. and they haven't, it seems like maybe they've talked out, you know? So I feel like together, um, if it's possible without it, it's just infinitely easier and more likely together, you know, that I feel like that ha some form of coalition, some, some type of unity has to be the answer to bring about significant change. So obviously this election has galvanized a, a lot of people and if not for anything, simply for the fact that he was elected by a minority of Americans. Do you think this opens up a chance for sort of third party outside politics to start grabbing some of those people that are disaffected or do you think it's more this is kind of something I've noticed too is that it's either we go after those people that didn't get their voices heard or we kind of go after the people that didn't participate at all and try to build something there or I mean obviously it's probably a combination yeah of both. it's probably a combination of both I think the the real opportunity I think particularly for the progressive movement although again um, you know, I, I feel the need to qualify. We don't, you know, really want to pigeonhole ourselves at all with as just a progressive movement. And I think maybe there are, are some groups that in the past have tried to fill that space uniquely and specifically. Mm. And maybe that's a hindrance in terms of broadening, you know, because we feel like um, even though, like I said, it, it, I, I believe that our our mission and our politics and our platform are very appealing to progressives. I feel like there's a lot there for other people as well. I mean, a platform that really does not specifically kind of drill down on identity politics, but has, 
you know, is a platform that is about equality and justice and fairness and taking care of everyone in society, which by its very definition is going to catch up every person and every group and every person of every identity, you know. And I think that there's something there for, for people besides just progressives. But um, I think the opportunity is um, following this election is um, kind of a, a combination of what happened in the Democratic primary. Mm -hmm. I think people, particular, particularly on the left, although people on the right were watching that as well. Mm -hmm. And I think people probably more than ever before are really open to the idea that, you know what, it's possible that money really does completely run our political system, you know? And I don't mean that in a, you know, strictly smoky back room right, right. but i mean we understand the type of money that's flowing into politics we understand the type of corporate contributions uh, campaign contributions and that are flowing into the parties and i think we're most americans are intelligent to understand that people don't do things like that for no reason mm -hmm. you know and we even see concrete evidences of that like the i don't know if anybody's mentioned the cory booker thing with the farm pharmaceuticals that's obviously been a big deal on, on the left but whichever party you're a part of, or even if you're not part of a, a party, money has such, has gotten to the level where it has so much control. And the question that I think, the way we like to frame things with the Justice Party is, whose interests are being represented in the government? Mm -hmm. And I think we feel like we've gotten to a point where the people who donate, that's whose interests are being represented in government. And if you don't have that kind of money, which almost none of us do, you're not really welcome. Your interests may be peripherally mm -hmm. represented. You know, they may be represented here and there, but that's not who your our representatives are there to represent. You know, they're representing the people that are funding them. And so um, I think after what happened with the, the Democratic primary, I think people were very shocked, especially with the leaks now, mm -hmm. because a lot of people felt like, oh, it's just sour grapes. You know, you lost and now you're saying it was stolen. And then the leaks came out and it's like, oh, wow, this really was a little more coordinated than we thought, I think that in conjunction with Donald Trump's win, and whether you like Donald Trump or not isn't even necessarily the point. Uh, I think particularly for Democrats, it's we feel like not only was Bernie robbed, but then you couldn't even steal the primary for someone that could win. Yeah. You, stole the, you stole the nomination and then you also lost. Yeah. So it's like kind of a, a double, double kick, you know, in the face. So I think that has really... Um, there are, there are people right now who, you know, the, the conversation, and I've been having this conversation my whole adult life, and I've been watching it with people around me. Um, if you vote for an independent party traditionally, are you throwing your vote away, or are you making a really principled vote? And that goes on every single election, and it's never more so than this one. I think there are people who are traditionally in the, you're throwing away your vote camp, who are for the first time saying, I'm open to rethinking that now, mm -hmm. you know, the lesser of two evils, which has governed so many people's votes for however many decades. I think there are so many people now who are saying I may not may not be willing to do that anymore. And I think that's really the opportunity is getting through to people in a way where, you know, the idealists and the believers and the activists. I mean, these are people who are always fighting for this. These are people who are always going to use their vote on people they really believe in. But the fat part of the bell curve in American politics, I think, is the people who they're going to vote for their interests and they're going to vote on a more practical level. And there are plenty of people who loved Bernie Sanders or are have more progressive ideals who went with Clinton because 
it's a safe vote. She's yeah. going to win. You know, I'd rather have her than I, than Trump. And I think that has shifted following those two factors in this election in a way that I think maybe hasn't happened in, in the past in a way that can really potentially build critical mass in a way that that is at least in modern times unprecedented. You know, that's where I think the opportunity lies. That was great. Yeah, okay. Yeah, very good. Yeah, right. Yeah. Welcome back, everybody. I hope you enjoyed uh, my interview with Brian Jones, the one-time executive director of the Justice Party. Uh, I got my partner in crime, Randy M. Salo, here in the studio with me. Welcome, Randy. Hey, Blake. Thanks for having me. Uh, great talk there with Brian. Uh, of course, I've I've been um, cutting Brian's lines for the last few years on the project, so he always has a lot Familiar. of great things to say. And mm-hmm. uh, but listening back to it as a whole was also nice to hear everything put back together. And um, but it, it kept ma- making me wonder, like, where's the Justice Party now? Um, can you speak uh, to that at all? Yeah, I mean, over the years we've tried to keep track of them, but uh, they kind of just disappeared from the scene as far as I've been able to tell. Um, Rocky Anderson, who was the mayor of Salt Lake in the early 2000s, who eventually formed the Justice Party, who was their presidential nominee in 2012. Um, yeah, it just kind of disappeared. But I did find some uh, uh, one interesting uh, connection was that uh, when Anderson was considering breaking off from the Democratic Party and forming something new, it was actually uh, Margaret Flowers and Kevin Zeese who were involved in that those early talks of forming a Justice Party, another party. But I mean, uh, this kind of gets into a larger question of coalition building and how these third parties operate in nationwide elections because he ran in Salt Lake in... Or so in Utah and maybe Colorado under the Justice Party, it was a very small party. Like I don't know how many members they even had at the end. Yeah. But a lot of times, what they'll do is like other third parties in other states might have ballot access because their party has enough members or has done the petition rigmarole. And so he ran on. I'm not going to remember the names now, but uh, various different third party ballots, oh, third okay. party tickets in like Minneapolis and other states. Yeah, I remember Brian saying something to the effect of that he got onto like 16 ballots. Right. Is that correct? Yeah, Nationwide, yeah. Yeah, like nation- 16 states right. ballots right. for the for the 2012 right. presidential. And then those were yeah. all individual, uh, you know, desperate, dis- <laughs> different parties. I'll just keep it simple. Yeah. Um, but but desperate is not actually yeah, the not, wrong word not here the wrong because, word um, yeah, that was definitely something that I kept thinking about as he was talking where... You know, he he came to this event, mm-hmm. you know, p- particularly to meet with other people and, and and try to figure out if there was a way to build like a coalition or a unity party, right. which is something that keeps coming up in the series and in these talks. And you can see how daunting that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess they just didn't get enough traction to to stay in the game or right. to fulfill that, yeah. that, that thing that they wanted to do. Yeah. I mean, to uh, I think Brian mentioned in the interview about he kind of uses the analogy of market share in sort of economic terms. And I also found that also interesting about the story of the Justice Party is ironically kind of the example of, in my opinion, what's kind of the problem with the left is everybody wants to start their own party 
uh, right off the back, you know, <laughs> like yeah. that everybody thinks they're the ones that are going to be start the party that's going to bring all these groups together. Yeah. And so then you just have like a, a bunch of parties. Uh, but at the same time, he he was there with the intention of, you know, in some ways it sounded to me like kind of dissolving a lot of the autonomy of the Justice Party and forming some larger group. And, and like we heard in the Kashama interview, kind of her imagination of what that would look like, sort of different groups being able to express their opinions autonomously, but then committing to be a working as a part of a larger, larger coalition. And yeah. so in a lot of ways, it was like the justice party was maybe created as a vehicle to have that conversation, and especially in a place like Utah. I can imagine it's not the easiest place to get uh, a progressive party started. Yeah. That's yeah. an assumption right? <laughs> for all of people, everybody in Utah. That's totally an assumption. Um, this is like a, also like a reoccurring theme here is like a lot of the groups that like start these parties have uh, are kind of single issue often. I right. mean, the Justice Party wasn't. They had yeah. kind of a broad selection yeah. of things. But um, in episode three of The Resistance, um, Margaret Flowers talks about how um, the people who finance, uh, like who invest in these like single single issue um, groups or mm -hmm. the way that they put their money in, they sort of silo off all of right. the, uh, uh, they silo off all of these issues into separate things. And I think this, as we talked about with um, with Maria's interview um, last week um, from for, from DSA, there's, there's, there's so many different single issues right. and different cultures in a yeah. way in the, in the left that coming together as a unity is difficult, partly because of ego, partly mm -hmm. because of priorities mm -hmm. and things that other that different people find yeah. Im important yeah. in a way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think, and uh, yeah, that because everybody's so focused, especially the funders, I mean, we yeah. talk about this a lot in the series and, and I think Maria talked about it last week also, this whole idea that a lot of people on the left kind of skip the part about you have to have money and yeah. and a mass of people, which from everything I've seen, the Justice Party had kind of neither yeah. going into it, you know, so it was... Good intentions, but... Good intentions and probably the right strategy then of like reaching out to other groups and saying, hey, how can we help build yeah. something bigger? Um, the other thing on that note of kind of the different issues, because you're right, the Justice Party's whole thing, like Rocky Anderson's whole thing was that he felt the Democrats had abandoned this notion of kind of the underdog party, right? The working class people's mm. party and had just become another kind of corporate bot party, just like the Republicans. I think he has a quote yep. to that effect. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the Justice Party slogan, it's economic, environmental, and social justice for all. I mean, you can't, like, boil down... If, if there was a progressive party, like a unified, coalesced progressive movement, would, I would think that would be at least... That seems like the most boiled-down version of what everybody wants, like the three pillars, if we want to call it that. Yeah. Everybody that I know that I've talked to in the progressive movement, those are kind of the three things because racial justice and all that is tied up in social mm -hmm. justice, right? And in economic justice. And the justice, economic yeah. justice and in environmental justice. Yeah. I mean, all those things are, and, you know, Margaret, we'll get into that, but she says it in the in the, in episode three, like you said, as well, is that you can't focus on one thing. And it was the last time that she recalls was in the 60s when, you know, leaders like Martin Luther King, even Malcolm X, other people saw the connection between all these issues and that they aren't on their own. These are all interconnected. And, and I think 
what Margaret says is correct is you can't just win one thing. Like we're not just going to win Medicare for all and not a Green New Deal. Yeah. Like that does moves the ball maybe a little bit. Of course, we want to see that happen, but unless we're pushing for like a full package, yeah. it's not going to happen. And and you're not going to win against racism if you don't have economic exactly. justice, yeah. you know. Yeah. And like a, a, something different, right? Yeah. <laughs> offering something something new that's actually going to change the game. And we can have that argument all day of like if the Democratic Party is actually offering anything new. But to the point of, I also found in Brian's uh, interview and when I talked to him kind of interesting I, I i can see from like a pragmatic place where they're coming from of that they don't want to carry the progressive label even though like rocky anderson's politics when he was the mayor of salt lake everything that the justice party stands for that you can find online right is clearly in line with what everybody on the left and kind of progressive yeah. quote-unquote progressive politics talks about but it was like maybe it's coming from a place like utah this sort of that part of the west that's very conservative places uh, that they kind of shy away from the label maybe, but yeah, just maybe kind maybe of for optics for optics. But yeah. it, it just made me kind of laugh a little bit because there's a whole group on the left too, that call themselves progressives because they don't want to get shackled with the socialist label. Mm. And then these guys are even further to like, I don't want to get shackled with the progressive label. We're just justice seekers. Right. Yeah. And it makes me think too, that there, that also is a little bit of an issue of maybe that's something that needs to be hired. How like, okay, what's the, what's the label we're going to put on? Yeah on this thing. What are we calling ourselves? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what I was saying last week during Maria's um, uh, interview was that it, it, the the right, yeah. the, like the really conservative right has it easy because they just say we're Americans mm-hmm. and we stand and for patriots. like America and yeah. patriotism. And I mean, which, you know, decoded as like white yeah. America. Yeah, right. um, but that's easy for a lot of people to get behind without... Mm-hmm even maybe feeling like they're getting behind it, yeah. like in the, exactly. in like a racist way or something, mm-hmm. but yeah. like just Gives be like, yeah, enough I, distance. I'm also an American. Yeah, right. I also believe in American. I don't want to tear down the yeah. the government. I love the, you know, yeah, I love right. the country, uh, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, of course. So, um, yeah, this is, again, I feel like one of the hurdles of unifying mm-hmm. the left is... Mm-hmm people it's because the left is taking the time to to explore and deal with um, major issues in the society each one of a you know each one being a priority everything being interconnected and where on the right it's just more like tradition and my culture and my christmas it's true well and it should be said is that because on the right, it's all about, yeah, this, like, monolithic American culture that's, like, yep. a total, like, homogeny, right? Right. Like, monoculture. Yeah, monoculture. Thank you. And, of course, that's much easier to get behind because I'm sure you could have similar anecdotes, but, like, people I know on the right, there's, like, a clear dress code. There's a clear, you know, like, list of things. I mean, it's also true on the left. Like, we're all, like, want to see environmental protection strengthens. We all want to see you know, economic justice, just getting to the point, why is it that it's so hard for people on the left to then like unify and come together? I think this is the point that we try to make with this whole project is we never, I think through the project, we never really find like, what is the thing that is keeping this from happening? I'm, we go into it a lot, but you know, different ways that the left has been suppressed over the years has a lot to do with it, but. The marginalization, yeah. Yeah. Like getting pushed out to the side and but we see it now with Bernie is that like when he actually came out and said all those things out loud instead of kind of how Obama and even Clinton did of not 
coming straight out with like, yeah, I think we should have a Medicare for all, not coming out and be, yeah, the environment's a big problem. We really need to make some drastic changes. When somebody came out and just said it directly, he was he became huge overnight. Like everybody gravitated towards that and maybe that's the thing too is we're just waiting for that that leader that leader that's that going to come around yeah that's going to galvanize everybody and and can present a clear vision because i think that maybe that's the problem and especially in american politics you have to have a clear vision for people to rally around and totally. to to march towards right like you cannot we get into this in episode 4 too is that you have to have episode 4 of the video series excuse me that you have to have a mass movement and the only way to do that is you know we're herd animals <laughs> Yeah. So the only way to do that is to give people like that carrot in front of them to show them a vision of like, this is what we're working towards, right. but we have to do it all together. When you're in the business of like tearing down the system yeah. uh, and, you know, rebuilding it, you have to agree on what the system's yeah, going to be, exactly. you know, like, yeah. and I think that that's in the end, the difficulty. Right. And I mean, this is, this goes to life and a lot of things, but at the end of the day, the things that we agree on are a far They're, more important. Yeah. And they run through. And they run, and yeah, yeah, everybody agrees on them. So what is, like the small details, the small differences are probably more personal than political, yeah, exactly. I think. Hubris and ego. Yeah, so and... what, I don't know, I think this is going to be uh, probably a, a cause that we're going to be a part of for a long time is what is, what is, this is a question I'll, I'm always asking myself, what is it been, that's been holding back? Because at this point, we don't, we have so much more communication, right? There's all these groups. Like when we were there in Washington, there's just like list of these groups and they're all together. They can all come together for things like Occupy the Inauguration, for things like, yeah, you know, uh, Women's March. We can find a way to get all these people together, but why it's the consistency, I guess, is the problem. And, and again, Justice Party is sort of a great analogy of that is they came in with good intentions, wanting to offer people another progressive home, like we talk about, yeah. they weren't able to, uh, yeah, galvanize enough people. Rocky Anderson wasn't the leader that was going to offer that vision of the future that people were really going to grab onto. And, you know, that's nobody's f fault, so to say, but... I mean, he had the perfect name, you know, yeah, right? everybody can great. get behind Rocky, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, maybe we're in the... Maybe he was, like, right politician wrong time, in, in, yeah. in a way. And I mean, what you definitely see, um, you know, in in the series and in, in like what you filmed in D.C. is that, yeah, it is totally possible for all of these, yeah. you know, disconnected but interconnected groups exactly. yeah, good way to put it. can get together and, you know, achieve something yeah. really powerful, yeah. you know, disrupt things. But at the same time, you also have, you know, you, you they may come together on this moment, but in the next moment, there's all this infighting and, mm -hmm. and, and yeah. ironing out the details of yeah. what gets done or what gets a priority. And, right. and Yeah. And there's no clear, I mean, not to be kind of a DSA spokesperson all the time, but I mean, they kind of are one of the few groups on a national level that offer sort of a, a structure, right? Something yeah. that you can like actually see and feel that like, okay, I see where my voice is going and I see clearly what my involvement brings to the group. To and the as Maria thing. said, they also offer a, play, a, a safe place for, you know, varying degrees of progressives exactly. to exactly. find a home yeah. at DSA. And and when you do that, you find a way for these groups to unite, you know, within the group, but also individually then in a way they can like, the you know, I don't have any examples off the top of my head, but 
you can easily see how maybe two groups who have like slightly different ideological ideas, but are both, uh, you know, committed to abolishing ICE, for example, yep. or helping immigrants' rights. There's an easy way now. There's a there's a way for them to make connections within the DSA to maybe collaborate on that, even if it's not a like DSA thing. But now they're collaborating on a new a new project. Yeah. The irony is it's it's all about inclusion, right? Yeah. Which is the thing that we're <laughs> yeah. fighting we're for fighting constantly for. on yeah. the left. Yeah, it uh, is ironic, yeah. That, yeah, this is what... Yeah, because it's never like anybody's trying to like force anybody out. Like you never see these kind of like um, like overtly political power moves. I mean, there were a couple, and we'll get into those in the series, I guess, or later on speaking about the Progressive Independent Party, that how that kind of also came out with good intentions, but then there was infighting and egos took over and it kind of disintegrated, yeah. right? And that this story is is a constant on the left, on the American left. Um, I wanted to ask you one more thing about third parties because mm. um, Brian suggests that, um, and probably because of the Bernie effect, that more and more Americans are, right. are open to this idea of third parties. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think in the 2020 election, we would have more, we we would have maybe seen that more strongly if mm -hmm. Biden wouldn't have overtaken Bernie in the in the yeah potentially in, right in the um, primaries right because there you had like a lot of different people on the left getting around a candidate who was running on the Democratic ticket, mm -hmm. but but representing people and not, right. um, yeah, corporate yeah. interests yeah, yeah, yeah. in a way. So, but but because there was this sudden shift, maybe due to the pandemic, right. people not going out to vote, maybe yeah. as a lot of people blamed it on millennials not actually showing right. up for Bernie. Yeah. Um, whatever the case is, do you, it, we, we, we did end up having to rally behind, you know, mm -hmm. one of the two parties now right. to be able the to... Anti -fascist yeah. the anti-fascist vote. That's what I call it. The anti-fascist vote. So have we taken a step back now that we've like yeah, two I mean, times lost the chance to, to yeah. have somebody like Bernie um, right. represent us in the Democratic Party? Yeah, I thought this too when I was listening to, re-listening to Brian's interview, of, that it kind of dates it a lot, that, that comment, because I remember at the time too, it did feel like this, if any moment, this is the moment. To vote third party, you mean? Yeah, or the, just that there would be some kind of coalescing yeah. coalition of these groups would finally come together and like produce some leader or something would come out of this, at least if not f electorally, that there would at least be some larger group, something that everybody could right. be like, okay, this is the thing that we're doing now. B because in that election, there was no. actually a no. third party exactly. and Jill Stein was, yeah. was, was the, 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 the part was the, on the ticket for the green right. party. Right. And a lot of people complain that she stole, stole votes away yeah, from, right. from Clinton. Which has never been, you know, mathematically proven in, in any way, but yeah. of course people will always have their Again, opinion. it's like the optics of it. Yeah, uh, exactly. Right. And like the danger of a third party is yeah. this like siphoning off votes, cannibalizing yeah. the vote, uh, and like giving the election away to right. the Republicans in this case. Which whenever I hear this argument, I just want to turn around and be like, do you hear what you're saying? Like, how is that a democracy when you're, you can't have any like outside ideas except for these, these are your choices. You don't get to choose anything else. Yeah. Like what kind of system is that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, but it is true, that's like not American, even including the electoral college exactly. element like, of the yeah. vote. I mean, or that's the gerrymandering, the, or the this, yeah. that, and the other. And 
Yeah, I mean, that's just the basic thing, but that Americans were just so, were so like acclimated to this idea that you can only have two choices and those aren't even really that far apart. Yeah. You're kind of choosing on like a, a personality. I, I mean, this election is definitely a different, a different animal. And I would agree that because there was no like, I guess like a rapid coalescing of these groups pretty early on. Yeah. I'd say maybe on the streets and definitely now you see like a lot of uh coalition building around, you know, Black Lives Matter movement and yeah. movement for black lives and 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 other things, you know, pandemic relief, <laughs> housing, yeah, safety, take your pick. Um so there is a lot of these groups more in like a direct action way coming together, mm. which is also important, but politically uh electorally there was never like a radical mobilization of all of these people, it, it, except for maybe in the like the the Congress, right? Right, exactly. Which we saw in two thousand eighteen, yeah. more progressives were were elected. Exactly. Well, that's more what I women, would say is more, more is people of color. I think if anything, the last four years have shown that, like Maria talks about, the sort of inside outside strategy might be the way to go. Is that if you get enough, you know, if you get if you build out the squad, let's say in the Democratic Party, over the long term. Maybe we we do end up at least carving out like a bigger slice of that democratic pie. But then again, you're going to get always people that are saying, "Well, you're going to fuck it up and throw it to the Republicans all the time because you're forcing the Democrats to be too far to the left." Right. And you're kind of so you're in a rock and a hard place. I feel like the American progressive movement, the American left, the only way they want to even have you involved is if you're like a locked up vote. Yeah, it, you know, I mean, Glenn Greenwald talks about this all the time. Is we're the taken for granted vote, and I think millennials, especially young people, people under forty, are very acute to this idea that our vote, our voice, is totally taken for granted by the Democratic Party. I think, justifiably, in this election, they know <laughs> that, yeah. that we're all coming out for them. Yeah, but because this time we have to. Yeah, <laughs> but it gets to something we talk about all the time. It's like they've also kind of boy cried wolf themselves into a place where, you know, we hear every four years that this is the most consequential election of your lifetime. Yeah. And now we're at a place where, yeah, this is the, this is a big deal. Yeah. And, and if nothing else on those ballots that people are, you are filling out and mailing in, uh, or going to the polls, there are also, uh, Congress members, um, up for vote. And, we Which have is a the chance. Most important thing. Yeah, we have a chance yeah. now to take back the Senate, exactly. Keep the House, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, of course, potentially flip the flip the executive as okay. well. Yeah. Uh, which, if we would do that, even with a conservative, you know, mm-hmm. a conservative Biden, yeah, you know, Democrat in right. in the White House, having a more you know left leaning Senate mm-hmm. and Congress means we can get and more diverse done. Diverse Congress and, di- yeah. and diverse. Yeah. We'll get more done. Um, Absolutely. More pressure will go to them. I mean, they've already been pressured to move more to the left. Mm-hmm. Even though last night was the vice presidential um, debate right. between Harris and Pence, and she kept like in, you know in, uh, arguing that Biden wasn't a liberal, mm-hmm. which I don't understand not really sure the, the strategy on the that strategy, is. except to say like, oh, he's not a communist. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> right. but then maybe use that term and not liberal because... Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, this goes to something we talk about in episode three of the video series also is this notion that Democrats especially just constantly let Republicans and the right like take terms and turn them into like these horrible, like 
socialism, progressivism now. You yeah. can't even call somebody a liberal without radical referencing left. the radical left. Everybody's anarchist. Yeah. And like... And I mean, th- that that they call Biden and, and Harris yeah, like radical it's left. It's like... What almost is, insulting. What's their gauge? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. Is like the Republicans on the other side have just gone totally off the rails. As much as the Democrats kind of have overplayed their hand over the years of like, you know, putting it on, is McCain the same exact risk as a Trump? Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. But the Republicans do it to the nth degree and have been since Obama, right? That everybody's a fucking communist. Everybody's trying to take yep. over, you know, everything's some conspiracy. Right. And fascist and a communist. Exactly. He's a fascist <laughs> and a communist. So, I mean, With Obama. <laughs> hashtag I love the poorly educated. What more can you, what more can I say? Um, but it comes back. That's to, easy to do when you have a monoculture. Exactly. It's very easy to. When the whole, your whole politics on the right seems now to be whatever Donald Trump says. Yeah. Because there's no, integrity is not an important aspect anymore in their politics. And like we talked about- any of these things, it's just what Donald Trump says, that is my politics, right, on the right. And like we talked about last week in this like monoculture, if, if things in your life don't seem to be like affected, if mm. you're- if you're not living as a gay or trans person, right. if you're not a person of color, mm-hmm. if you're you know mildly successful or feel like you're achieving the American dream, then you may not care about all of those issues, right. which do affect a lot of other people. Yeah. And so it's very easy to to say that, oh, everything is fine. There's just a bunch of people on the left whining about exactly. stuff because they don't feel like they get enough. Yeah. And I think that's where they miss the point. Right. Well, it's... I mean, it's, I guess it's the privilege thing, yeah, right? It's, well, the it's embedded privilege. in our culture of like, if you... Uh, Hard work to, is every... Yeah, you, It's tied to a lot of things. Like if you didn't succeed or if you're complaining, it's because you're a loser and either God didn't want you to have it or you weren't good enough to have it. Right. And I do have it. So that means either A, God wanted me to have it or I'm better than you. And yep. I mean, that's it, right? And then, doesn't... I mean, there's no like contemplation of like how what are the like underlying social things that you know how you got there how you you have this how you yeah who's who's suffering right halfway across the world for you to have that thing exactly and why is your well-being or your comfort somehow like more important than another person's like ability to have just a basic standard of life and how you can think in this like american individualism that you that your comfort is not directly connected to somebody else that we're not especially to these days with globalism and the fucking internet like obviously everything's interconnected and yeah it's this huge disconnect on the you don't live in a bubble although people i think that that's (laughs) what they feel that they live in a bubble and and yeah last night um pence was you know, when the when the topic of the pandemic came up, and mm-hmm. um, he was trying to say like, "Oh, uh, Harris and Biden want to have a government mandate that everybody should wear masks, and mm-hmm. we want to have America um, crazy. We, we want them to be, <laughs> you know, to we don't want to, you know, restrict them and put any, um, you know, take away their freedoms and stuff like that." Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, she had a great answer to that. Like, let's talk about like your respect for the American people mm-hmm. because you are allowing them to die yeah. without with, by lying about the right. pandemic and by not giving them the tools to protect exactly. themselves. Yeah. Well, I mean, here in Germany, it, you know, there is a mandate, but the mandate is almost like pro forma because we have all we've been given the information. You know, as to be fair, as doctors and scientists are figuring this out because it's new. Yeah. But there's always 
a clear, I can't remember once when Merkel decided to get in between a doctor or somebody yep. trying to get on TV and tell us what the hell's going on. Yeah. I mean, of course, we're still as, you know, confused and vulnerable. vulnerable as anybody else. But I feel like here, the whole notion that you had to mandate a mask, like it wasn't because we all knew the risks involved and the science behind it and the studies that have been done. We're like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. I don't need to be, I don't have to have a fucking cop or somebody come like force a mask on me. I have the information in front of my face. I yeah. can make it, the decision. And you do it because you don't... For my community, for, for my your neighbors. Community. Not necessarily for yeah. yourself, even no. if you're young and fit, yeah. but also for the for for the people who aren't. For the elderly people that live yeah. in my building, you know? Yeah. Like, it's just... That's and this where, is where, like, the whole notion of community in America has just gone... I don't see it anymore. Yeah. I don't the know where that we were went. raised on. We were raised with that it was all about helping out your neighbors, protecting each other. And this comes from the church in a way. I mean, Absolutely. the thing that we were both raised in, like, like you come together, you know, as a congregation, yeah. you know, to help a fellow exactly. person who's having having trouble financially. You know, you yeah. would put tithe, you know, exactly together right. on that one yeah. Sunday for that person. And it's all about this community and coming together. And I feel like people people do this in communities, mm-hmm. but when it comes to the politics of like totally a right. nationwide thing, mm-hmm. and they can and the Republican Party can easily make this an issue of freedom, yeah. then th- somehow that disappears and mm-hmm. people like want to have this individualism um, and and they kind of equate government mandates with like stealing away personal freedom. Right. Where, I mean, this is like the tired old circular debate, right? Of is it, is it tyrannic? Like if we are in control of the government and we are telling our representatives what we want to do, then like any kind of mandate would be, should be understood as like the community deciding this is what we need to do. If you feel like represented and in control of your democracy. The fact that so many people don't feel that way on the right and the left, and there are plenty of people on the left too that I think would fall into these kind of conspiracy theory places. Sure. But the fact that this is so rife, especially in America, to me is a sign that nobody believes that they actually live in a democracy. Yep. Nobody actually believes that any of the people representing them have their best interests yep. at heart when they make these decisions. And so, I mean, all this stuff to me just points more and more to this malaise in the American body politic, if we're going <laughs> to... There's just this underlying feeling that it. I don't trust anything they do. Just like now, like if I was in America and the White House said, here's a vaccine, there's no fucking way I'm trusting you to stick that thing in my arm. Yeah. If a bunch of doctors, if Fauci comes out and says... It's this vaccine's cool. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But nobody has any faith in the government anymore. Right. I think that this is the power of the right is that first they they Put they don't want question. you to yeah. trust the government yeah. which they are a part of. Mm-hmm. And so if you and and if the decisions are being made for you and they're taking care of those things, the things that they focus on are more these cultural things yeah. that you feel like you have some control over exactly. or that are still yours like Christmas or yeah. Well, and this kind of circles back Whatever. to what you're saying about Margaret's point about these like siloed off single issue things. Like we on the left kind of play into the right's hands in this because, you know, we both know that the right, the Republicans started the whole notion of like a culture war. They're the ones that like brought up, you know, kind of secularism as a bad thing. They brought up, you know, gays being a part of the larger community as a bad thing. Yeah. And then the reaction on the left was then to silo off and to fight these like singular battles while the right 
unified, unifies around their kind of core monoculture issue hmm. and have been playing the long game for the last 50, 60 years while they've gotten the left and, you know, progressive left to silo off into these single issue organizers, like, like I think how Margaret puts it. And so in a lot of ways, this sort of like culture warrior, uh, social, what do they call it? Social justice warrioring yeah. thing it was kind of invented by the right and the left, in my opinion, fell right into that trap yeah. because we're constantly fighting these little battles while they are, they're about to stack the Supreme Court. Yeah. They've already stacked the lower They've courts. already stacked all the other federal courts, you know, and in any, and the long run, like any democracy is kind of lives and dies in the courts. So ours is not looking very healthy at the yeah, time. Yeah, and we're we're canceling people exactly. because of their Twitter exactly. comments. Exactly, yeah, and, you know, and that's like, where our shit is focused, and it feels, like, frustrating. <laughs> yeah, and I think that the the, the Republicans in, in power have, have successfully, you know, kept the attention away mm-hmm. from what they're actually doing to the American people yeah. by turning the attention to, you know, things that are happening on the left or mm-hmm. or to these, like, culture wars. Mm-hmm. They, you, you, you know, the people who vote for the Republicans who suffer from their policies yeah. aren't aware of what their policies are yeah. because they're talking about something else. They're talking about something else. They're talking about the out-of-control radical left that's going to burn down your cities. and Yeah, and I mean, to be honest, I mean, Joe Biden, at least in his debate, fell right for all that because the minute they bring up the calm radical left, he's like running for the hills. Yeah. And it just plays right into their hands again because in multiple levels, like if we're not unifying even like moderates at this moment, if we're talking about like getting rid of this guy because it's for the betterment of all of us, if the moderates aren't reaching out a hand to the progressives, I mean, he's shooting them. <laughs> I don't understand their strategy. But like I said, we're a part of the anti-fascist vote and yeah. so we'll come out. But And this all comes back to your yeah. talk with Brian Jones yeah. because this was a party that, you know, tried to like unify exactly. these things exactly on right. the left yeah. and I mean all these things that we've been discussing although I feel like we've gotten we get a off, off topic, topic a bit, a bit but yeah. it's all related because yeah. we're talking about the frustration mm-hmm. of unifying the left to yeah. to combat this sort of monoculture right. uh, rule right. uh, in America so yeah and then it's all coming from a good place is that the notion is that we can't minimize anybody else's issue right that would also be screwed up and I right. think that's like the the difficulty how do we like the inclusion yeah. include everybody with it, but still like i said we have to set up this kind of carrot like okay but this is the big fight that we gotta we yep. gotta get this thing all together right yeah and until that happens you know we're probably gonna see more justice parties come and go yeah and, and but like we said none of this actually none of this is possible until we get rid of what's his name yeah so thanks again randy great talk uh yeah. Hope you guys all enjoyed our interview and our discussion here. Hopefully we got something out of it that you guys are going to take home with you and hopefully take it out to the streets. Um, <laughs> next week, we're going to be featuring an interview with Momita Ahmed, who uh, was involved in, in a leadership position in uh, Millennials for Bernie and Millennials for Revolution and has been uh, constantly, constantly involved still, still today. So she's a great interview. Talks a lot about the millennial movement within this movement. So that'll be next week. Until then, see you then, Randy. Thanks, Blake. See you next week. The Resistance Companion Podcast is a Stuus Media podcast and is recorded in Munich, Germany. This podcast is produced by myself and Randy M. Salo. Executive producer is Janine Stengel-Lewis. 
The music for this podcast was composed by Kai Metzna. All of the interviews featured in this podcast were recorded on location in Washington, D.C. by Dennis Provost. The Resistance Companion podcast is part of our larger multimedia project, including a web series which you can watch at vimeo.com slash Thanks for listening, and until next time, keep resisting.